Regulars here, you obviously know that, uh, that I am, uh, am too a visitor. I am the pastor of Crossroads Church in Aiken, South Carolina, so like, you know, f- a whole 40 minutes away. Uh, I'm glad to be here with you guys this morning. I want to tell you a little bit about my uh, relationship to you guys uh, and my relationship to Jeremy. Uh, we are a CMA church in Aiken, South Carolina, and essentially as a result of, of that partnership through the CMA, we've kind of connected with uh, with you guys here at Redemption and now have begun to really kind of process together, you know, what what life is like in the midst of ministry together for the Big K Kingdom. And that kind of brings me here today, uh, not for any other reason other than to say hello to you guys. And I'm excited what you guys are doing uh, here in Augusta for the kingdom. I know that you guys are looking forward to some brand new days ahead, some exciting days ahead, and know that we constantly pray for uh, you uh, at, on our campus. You know, on um, on Sunday mornings, and we're looking forward to moving forward in our relationship together. I do want to tell you this: um, in nature, uh, not necessarily in nature, but in life, I'm a loud talker, um, just in general. <laughs> so I know that this will come across um, in the microphone uh, even louder than life, and uh, I'm sorry about that. But I'm going to tell you this: uh, we can kind of look at our partnership in two ways. Hey, I'm the B team who comes in every once in a while, and or we look at it like this: we are together on mission. Uh, for the kingdom of God, and we are on uh, on mission for every man, woman, and child in the midst of our region. And I think that's exciting because then, right now, we are connected together on something much more than just a Sunday morning. We're actually connected together on the mission that God has called us to. So we're going to talk a little bit about that mission this morning. We're going to talk about that mission from Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or your iPads or anything really cool uh, that is not the old school text, uh, you can open up to, uh, to Mark chapter 5 where we will be today. Uh, I am married. Um, I know that's a uh, that's amazing <laughs> that the Lord would actually see that to come to pass. I am married. My wife is uh, the worship leader for our Aiken campus, and she's not able to be here today. Um, naturally, uh, we have one son. We adopted our son. His name is Sunday. That was his given name. Uh, we adopted our son Sunday from Uganda. He has been home with us for uh, a year and a couple months. So I want to tell you a little bit of a story kind of about that process that we are now going through. When we first got home from uh, from Uganda, he spoke zero, like zero, zero English. He's five years old. So everything for us in communicating with him has been over the past year, this exhaustive, um, exhausting game of charades. You know, you want him to sit, you want him to be quiet, like you have to act it out. It's been it's been ridiculous. Um, now we're getting to the place where he can communicate with us and that has been so exciting and so neat to be able to communicate to him and be able to have him talk back to us. And uh, it's not as exhausting anymore. Well, <clears throat> we are first time parents and we didn't get to kind of learn as we go. We just kind of all of a sudden had no kids in the house. Do we have this uh, crazy five year old with um, energy? It's like he drinks uh, like he drinks Red Bulls for breakfast. I mean, we don't give him that, obviously, um, because I think he would tear our house down but nonetheless he has a, this this so much energy and we're trying to figure out like, how do we how, you know we haven't really got to ease into this phase we're just all of a sudden there and he's you know running around the house so there are a lot of things when it comes to parenting we don't have a clue we're only finding out and we find out the hard way one of them being is traveling with children 
That's a big deal. Let me tell you why that's a big deal. Because my personality is, if we're getting in the car, we got to go. We got to go now. We got to be there. We got to get there early. That's like this. Listen, Jen and I don't argue about much. Well, we do, honestly. But, but what we do argue about particularly would be, I want to leave the house 30 minutes before. She wants to leave the house at 10 minutes after. I don't understand it. Now, I, I'm going to tell it to you my way because she's not here to defend herself. This is the story as I see it. I'm just letting you know. And usually what I see is exactly how it is. Um, <laughs> that's because it's from my perspective, okay? Uh, so here's the deal. Um, we're going to Charleston. I mean, not right now. We were in this story, which is real. We're going to Charleston and I want to leave. I, I know, listen, okay, it's a three-hour drive-ish. I bet if I drive fast enough, we can get there even earlier so we could be there even earlier. We're loading Sunday up in the car and then we drive out. Well, Charleston, to get to Charleston is a lot of back roads, right? So we're going down the, or the way we went anyway. I'm horrible with directions and needed GPS to get into my backyard and back into the house. It's that bad. So uh, here we are going to Charleston down the back roads. And as we're going down the back roads, uh, oh, oh newsflash, kids get sick in the car often. <laughs> no one told us this. So here we are driving to Charleston and Sunday says, um, this was just a, a month or so ago, it says, I think I'm going to be sick. Oh, hey, at least he recognizes that. What, again, what someone didn't tell me was this, that when a child says, I think I'm going to be sick, it means he's actually already sick. <laughs> I can say, ooh, like I'm getting queasy. We might want to think about pulling over or let me get out and walk around. No, I'm going to be sick. Okay, well, let me... Blah! And he is just hurling all over. Listen, I'm sorry. He's all over the back seat, all over the floor. Like it is, uh, it's gross. So I do what you would probably expect uh, me to do for experiencing it for the very first time. I grip the wheel with both hands and I start screaming for fear that I'm going to lose it too. Ah! So I'm screaming. He's throwing up. Jennifer is trying to calm both of us down. It is, listen, it's bad news bears, I'm telling you. So we pull over. We, we have got to now clean everything out. So we're in this, in this, on the side of the road. Cars are flying by, cleaning this out. I can't go near. I'm like, I can't do this. You do it. You know, I handed Jen the bag. She's trying to clean things up. Well, he got sick on, listen, like this kind of sick, on and off several times on the trip. Listen, I, I wouldn't step back in. I'm, Jen went to clean the car because she's the trooper she's the bug killer in the family like that stuff just freaks me out uh, i'm girly i know i get it um so jen cleaned it all up and uh I, this is this is what i'm trying to say is that now when we get in the road with our child we have a we have a sick bucket that goes with us because we know that we're going to have to make many stops we're going to have to stop here and stop there and, and beyond all the stops that we have to make with sunday we also have to make these stops with jennifer right this is in my eyes how I see it. She's not here to defend herself. So let's talk real, right? So between Sunday getting sick, Sunday having, having to go to the bathroom, and Jen having to go to the bathroom, we don't ever get anywhere, ever. Uh, we are constantly in the pit stops uh, rather than being on the road traveling. And for me, that just grinds against everything that is within me because I want to get somewhere and get there now and get there fast. So here we go. We're making these pit stops all along the way. It takes us, you know, a three and a half hour trip actually takes us nearly 12. We almost spent the night because we had to take so many trips. But today we're in Mark chapter 5. And what we're going to do in Mark chapter 5 is just as we took many pit stops to getting to Charleston, we're going to take many pit stops in Mark chapter 5. So I want you... 
to know this as we begin setting the direction as we begin setting the foundation of the passage this morning this is something that I need you to know to know Christ ready to know Christ is to be consumed by him you see, we are in a culture right now on this day where to know people, I've got like thousands, I'm not that famous, I just have a, I have a lot of friends on Facebook, a lot of them are middle schoolers because I was previously a student pastor, so all the middle schoolers you know, want to be friends with the student pastor. So I've got a ton of these kids right now, and now beginning to have adults because I actually am able now to interact with adults as being a lead pastor, which is beautiful. Uh, so what, what I am learning is that in our culture today, we can know a lot of people, but do we really know people? We can know Christ, but do we really know Christ? And if we are going to know Christ, it means that we are consumed by Him. And when we are consumed by Christ, then we will find peace. Peace doesn't come from knowing Peace comes from being consumed. So as we are beginning to set the stage for this morning, we are understanding that the only way in my life, the only way in your life or your situation that you will find peace is by being consumed by Christ. That is the start. That is the benchmark of our life, being consumed by Him. The lens that we will be looking through everything today is this, the authority of Jesus. That's what we're looking at today. In order for me to be consumed by my Savior, I must know of His authority. So that should ring loud and ring clear in the midst of our hearts and in the midst of our minds this morning. We must begin to learn to be a people who, doesn't, who, who do not identify where we are positionally, but we identify and we recognize where He is positionally. Because it's through His authority that He keeps His people. So this is what we're going to do as we walk through Mark chapter 5. I know it's going to be a big text. We're going to make some pit stops along the way of Mark chapter 5. And we're not going to be able to break down every little detail in the passage because that's not what I'm here for today. What I feel like I'm here for today, what I feel like God has me here for today, is so that we as God's people would begin recognizing in the Word where His authority is being exercised and why. So we're not going to break down every little detail. Our goal this morning is this, identifying the authority of Jesus. See, this should be the foundation of who we are, of people who understand His authority. That should be what drives us. That should be what dictates to us. That should be what determines everything about us. It's not ourselves, but the authority of who He is. See, with an understanding of Christ and His authority, we are able to live by faith, not by wishful thinking. And when I understand the authority of who Christ is, I am understanding that I truly can live my life in the midst of a faith relationship to Him. Not this, this hopeful expectation that something will come about. Not this, not this wishful thinking that leaves, me, that leaves me wanting more and wishing for more and, is this, and even on some level doubting if it will ever come about. What I truly understand is that when I understand the authority of Jesus, I will truly live by faith. Our morning perspective this morning is a question that I've kind of put together that will allow us again to lay a platform. And laying this platform will allow us to begin to filter what we're hearing this morning through some of these things. The question this morning is this. What is the battle of faith versus fear in your life? 
Can you begin to process that with me for just a little bit? Now, for some of us, uh, or should I say, for some of you who are rather manly, we've already established that Jen is the bug killer in my family, and I'm not the guy who's the rather manly guy, right? But for some of us men, we'd say, hey, I don't fear. I've got none of that in me. But maybe how you fear is by things that weigh heavy on you and it causes great frustration. It causes things in the midst of your life that alters the way you act, that alters the way you think. You've got these things that are weighing down upon you. Now, maybe that translates to some others as I really understand that the core of that is fear. I really understand that the core of that is me not being able to control what is known. Maybe what we begin to do is we begin to ask ourselves the question, can you truly identify the faith versus fear in your life? Let's begin to set a background of Mark chapter 5. For us to pick up in Mark chapter 5, I feel it's very important for you to understand what we've been coming out of in chapters 1 through 4 so we can gain some context over Mark chapter 5. So the background is this, the book of Mark. Now there are many themes that you could pull in the book of Mark, but one of the themes is this in particular. Christ came to establish His kingdom. And in like manner, he will keep his kingdom. This is what this means. As we're reading through the book of Mark, we see that Christ came to establish in the hearts of people the kingdom of God. Now, in like manner, he will also keep the very people that he is establishing the kingdom in. So as we begin to walk into situations, understand this, that the one who established himself in you will keep you in your situation. If we're going to define these words, we define them like this. If Christ came to establish, it means that Christ came to build, to form, or to create. Christ came to implement the kingdom of God in the midst of people, in the midst of you, in the midst of those who will believe in the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. But if he is going to keep those in whom he is implementing his kingdom, it means this, that he will draw near, that he will oversee, and or that he will protect. So Christ came to form or to build his kingdom. And in like manner, Christ will oversee or protect his kingdom. So as I walk into life situations, I really begin to set a framework for my life. And that framework is, I am not in control. For the one who has created the kingdom in me will keep me. Mark chapter 1, what we find is we find that our mission originated from Jesus. It's not something that you and I decide to do. It originated from Jesus. You see, the authority in uh, Mark chapter 1 was given to Christ by Jesus. Remember, Jesus was baptized by John in the river. And then the heavens opened up and Jesus says, this is my son. And he passes authority over to Jesus. And then what happens to Jesus? Jesus gets pulled away into the wilderness and then he is tempted. Are we all tracking with me here? In Mark chapter 1, then verse 4, after, his, after he comes out uh, and, and remaining clean from this temptation, Jesus begins his ministry. We see that at the end of chapter 1 through uh, now where we are in chapter 5. But what we find in 1 through 4 is Jesus does this. He goes uh, over and over and over again teaching and challenging and keeping. And teaching and challenging and keeping. And teaching and challenging and keeping. And keeping over and over and over again. And he does this by the authority of who he is. 
by the authority of who he is. In Mark chapter 4, what we see is Jesus was doing this teaching, this challenging and keeping when, uh, he was, when he got into the boat and he fell asleep. Right, So Jesus was teaching on the hillside. He's told the disciples, get in the boat, which I'm going somewhere with this. Hang with me. He said, get into the boat. So the disciples got into the boat. Jesus now uh, gets into the boat with them. He lays down immediately and goes to sleep. Why? Because he was tired. They set the boat out to sail across the sea. And this big storm came. This big storm that would put fear in the heart of seasoned fishermen. And then the disciples want to wake Jesus up. And they want to wake Jesus up not so he would fix the problem. Why? Because he does fix the problem. And the disciples said what? They were amazed and they were confused at who this man was that he could speak to the sea and that the wind would obey him. So they woke him up not so he would fix their problem. They woke him up because they wanted him to share in their fear and misery. Why? Because misery loves company. So what we begin to see now is that no matter what's happening in the midst of life, Jesus is continually teaching, He is continually challenging, and He is continually keeping His people. And we see that in the midst of the disciples' life as Jesus constantly puts them in situations where Jesus is, quote-unquote, forced to keep his disciples or to protect or to draw near to his disciples. In Mark chapter 4, what we really see there as we set the stage for 5 is this, that Jesus is the Lord of nature. Ladies and gentlemen, do we understand this, that the intent of this passage is to teach you about the greatness of Jesus? Not the silliness of the disciples, but the greatness of Jesus. It's telling us that He is the master of the wind. It's telling us that He is the master of the sea. This has meant that our eyes should never see the obstacle. Our eyes should never see the obstacle. It should never see the storm, but should always rest in the provisional peace of Jesus. So here we go entering back into this word peace. Remember that we just talked about to be consumed by Him is to know peace. We should not see the obstacle. You should not see the storm. You should not see what's facing your life in the midst of trial. You should see the consuming nature of Jesus Christ in the midst of your life. And when you are consumed by Him, you will know peace. Because you will know Jesus. See, Jesus is Lord of your life. We often refer to crisis as storms or stormy seas in the midst of our life, in the midst of our living. And here's what we have learned really from, verses, or from chapters 1 through 4 up to this point would be this. Storms don't worry Jesus. The thing that you are living in, the thing that you are experiencing, the thing that you wish you could be out of, they don't worry Jesus. In fact, He isn't terrified. Jesus isn't impatient He isn't worried. Jesus has the power and the authority over the storm in this text. He has the authority and the power over the storm in your life. And we begin to see these things on this pit stop in or on these pit stops in chapter five. So the key in Mark chapter five is this. Christ is the keeper of his children by his authority. As we move forward this morning, you are putting through a lens that Christ is the keeper of you. And He is the keeper of you by the authority that He has been given by God our Father. 
Spiritual truth number one, you can jot this down if you're taking notes. If you are unable to do that, it will be on the screen uh, directly above me. Spiritual truth number one, God's kingdom purpose is above all. God's kingdom purpose is above all. Remember, we're not going to touch on every detail in the passage, but we are going to look for places in which the authority of Jesus is brought to light. Let's start in Mark chapter 5, read through the section of 1 through 19. We'll skip down. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country um, of Genesis. Okay, so what I want to do is I want, I want us to understand this. We're just coming out of Mark chapter 4 where the disciples are saying, Who is this man that the wind and the seas obey him? Now we see this. They came to the other side of the sea, verse 2, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Jump down with me into verse 8. For he was saying, oh, So Jesus now says to this man with an unclean spirit, For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jump down with me to verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. So Jesus commands uh, the spirits to come out of this man. To fill in the gaps, this is the man who had a legion of spirits in him. He cast the demons out of this man. They, uh, the demons jumped into the pigs that were grazing there, and all the pigs ran over the cliff into the sea, and they drowned. Now we get down into verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, this man, who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him. But he said, Go home to your friends. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. See what I want to do is I want to pay attention to verse 18. As he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. He said go home and tell your friends. You see the greater kingdom purpose here. Is in the man's telling. And what that tells me, or what should tell us, is this, that sometimes you may, what you may initially ask for, though godly, may not be kingdom design. There is nothing more godly than this man saying, hey, you have done this giant thing in my life. And because you have done this giant thing in my life, I want to be in your hip pocket, Jesus. I want you to take me with you. I want to be right next to you in all of your mission, in all of your doing. He's trying to invite himself into the boat with Jesus. And though very godly, what does he say? No. Because the kingdom plan, the kingdom design is that you would go and tell Verse number 19. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had 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 mercy on you. See, what that tells me in verse 19 is that some things are for the glory of God publicly. And I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going to come back to that soon. See, when God does a work in your life, we automatically begin the process of discerning, is this something that is for public knowledge? So what he's saying here is that his desire for the kingdom is not that he would accompany Jesus, but that he would do something totally different. And sometimes we may be praying for things that are very godly. But we must understand that there is a kingdom plan, and that kingdom plan is above all. Spiritual truth number one, right? God's kingdom purpose is above all.
So may we be patient in our sitting. May we be patient in our scenario and understand that God's kingdom plan is hovering your life. May we do nothing, say nothing, think nothing other than intimacy with Jesus. Spiritual truth number two. Place your faith way before the crowd. Place your faith way before the crowd. Now remember, we can't touch every detail. We're making several stops along the way of chapter 5. We see in verse 21, you can start reading with me there. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him. Uh, Verse number 25. And there was a woman. Now, so what happened here is he was going to see Jairus' daughter. Now we see this big interruption happen. Big interruption of ministry. Has that ever happened to you? You've got something going on and you're interrupted. So you're distracted from what you originally were going to do. That's exactly what was happened here. So what happens is now we see this. He was going to help Jairus' daughter. But this crowd is now following him. And this woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians, had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. I want you to circle the word crowd there in verse 27. For she said, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Who touched my garments in verse number 30? Jesus said, who touched my garments? Verse number 34. Jesus said to the woman, daughter, your faith has been made well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Spiritual truth number two. Place your faith way before the crowd. Here's what we need to know about Jesus. Is he has the authority over disease. And what we need to know or ask ourselves is this. Who is willing to touch the hem despite the crowd? Let's be honest. Jesus didn't change the, We don't say that Jesus changed the world through the influence of the crowd, do we? We say that Jesus changed the world through the influence of 12 men. Why is that? Because in the book of Mark, the crowd is actually a character. We actually see the crowd as a character. You see, the crowd is fickle. The crowd often gathers just to watch. The crowd wants to be apart until a time of commitment comes. The crowd ultimately mocked and crucified Jesus. So who is willing to live by constant and uh, live in constant obedience despite the others that gather? Who is willing to live in constant obedience despite the onlookers? Who is willing to live in constant obedience and and constant faith despite the crowd? This woman pushed through the crowd. She pushed through this character in order to exercise her faith over the fear of her disease. Who is willing, despite the crowd, to passionately pursue the name of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? Our takeaway here is may we focus on the authority of Jesus and not the crowd. 
For the authority of Jesus and His kingdom is above all. Always. Spiritual truth number three. The kingdom design is never too late. Yeah, but you don't know my story. The kingdom design is never too late. Watch this. So what we find is, referring back to verse 21, Jarius came to Jesus and said, Hey, my daughter is, is not well. She's about to die. Jesus gets interrupted. Then this is what happens. While Jesus, it says while he, is referring to Jesus, while he was still speaking there, a ruler came to the house, someone who said, Your daughter is dead. So here we go. Jesus let it slip his mind, right? I mean, not right, but that's what we think after reading this verse. But number 36, this is what happened. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Our morning perspective question was, What is the faith versus fear in your life? I want you to underline that. Do not fear, only believe. Are you in a scenario in the midst of your life where you are being called right now during this moment to have faith over your fear? Do not fear. Only believe. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. Verse number 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, little girl, I say to you, arise. Verse 42. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. Verse 43. I want you to circle this word. And he strictly, circle strictly, and he strictly charged them that no one should know of this. And he told them to give her something to eat. See, what we need to know about Jesus is this, that he has the authority over death. And we actually see this played out as he was uh, raised from the dead after the third day, many chapters uh, following. He has the authority over death. See, verse number 43 is what intrigues me here. And he strictly charged that no one should know about this. You see, some things are for the glory of God personally. And when God does a major work or a minor work or any work at all in the midst of your life, the story is not over. You and I must begin discerning, is this to be proclaimed publicly or is this for my, my, personal, uh, my personal heart? Is this for public or is this for private? You see, this is what happens. We live a gospel that is very self-centered and selfish if we have a perspective like this. God, do a work in me, do a work in me, do a work in me, and that work is done, and then we go on about life. See, God doesn't do a work in you for you. Yes, He does a work in you because He loves you. Don't read between the lines. What I'm telling you is this, that God does a work in you, yes, because He loves you, but ultimately so that you will make the name of Jesus known, so that you will praise the name of Jesus. So yes, He does something in the midst of you, but it's not just for you, it is for you, but it's, the glory, it's for the glory of His name. So if we see a work done in the midst of our life and we say, okay, game over, that's a selfish gospel. Very self-centered. So what we've got to begin doing is we've got to begin understanding and realizing that when God does a work in your life, when God does a work in my life, I must discern, is this for public knowledge in verse 19? Or is this for private refreshment in verse number 43? The game is not over when God goes to work in the midst of your situation, ladies and gentlemen. It has only just begun. 
For he doesn't exist for you. We exist for him. In all things always. What we find is that the kingdom of God is never too late. Our focus here is that we would focus on the authority of Jesus Christ. Not the time frame of man. Listen, I'm, the, I'm telling you, trans, this is transparent time, right? Put me on a couch, like a counselor. I'm not the counselor. I would be on the couch because I'm crazy, right? This is, this is transparency time for me. I want to put everything on a timetable. I want to put everything on a timeline. The word timeless timeline makes absolutely no sense to my mind. I want to put something down and I want to just make sure that it's going to happen. In fact, when it doesn't happen, it hacks me off. When I think that I expect something to be done and it doesn't get done, that aggravates me. But what I've got to understand is that God doesn't work within my time frame and my time schedule. And though I think something should be done at a certain point in time, doesn't mean it's going to be done at a certain point in time. Why? Because the kingdom of God is never too late. And we are operating in the kingdom of God. Or from its timetable. In Mark chapter 5. There is no power greater than the power given by God to Christ. In Mark chapter 5. There is no authority greater than the authority given by God to Christ. See Christ came to establish his kingdom. And in like manner he will keep his kingdom. What does that tell us? That tells us that He will keep you in your situation. There is nothing that you are going through. There is nothing that you have been through or nothing that you will go through that is, that is outside the boundaries of the kingdom of God. We see this constantly as this man who, who came possessed with demons... And then we see this as Jairus' daughter and, and the woman who touched the hem. There is nothing that we can live through, walk through, experience that, out, that is outside the bounds of the kingdom of God in the midst of your life. Understand that because he is establishing the kingdom of God in the midst of your people, in the midst of his people, you, he will keep you in the midst of your situation. Just when you think you can't. Like you can't go on, you can't handle it, you can't. Just when you think you can't, the truth is, you're right. Because it's not of your might. It's not out of your power. We've already established that there is no power greater. There is no authority greater than the power or the authority given by God to Jesus. It's out of His power and His authority. So just when you think you can't, you're right. It is out of His might. So how do we begin to boil this down? So that we can kind of move into a time of reflection or commitment. I think it would be a little something like this. Our faith must be attached to something. The, the word faith in of itself requires something that we would attach to. The truth is that our greatest need is to constantly and progressively see Jesus more clearly. My question for you this morning is, do you trust in the presence of who He is to keep you safe in the storms of your life? Do you trust in the presence of who He is to keep you safe in the midst of the storms in your life? What must we change in order to live constant trust? What must we release in order to live in this constant trust? 
See, fear exists. I mean, that's, that's just the truth. Fear exists. But we make a choice to live in the faith over the fear. So as we are doing that, I think we understand this, that fear is to be conquered by faith in Jesus and His authority. Watch this. This is why the authority of Jesus is so important. Because we begin to understand that His authority is above all. Therefore, there is no fear that should live within His people. Because His authority is above all. So how does this, watch this, how does this city change? So I realize we're not in Aiken, we're in Augusta. But when you look at all of the CSRA, there are 500,000 people in the CSRA. So ultimately, let's begin here. How does, how does this community, this body, this church, family right here, how does it look different? If I begin recognizing the authority of Jesus in my life, how does that look different among you? Now watch this. How does this city change? How does the CSRA change if we would band together and that we would begin focusing on nothing else but the authority of who He is? And the authority that he has over my life. And over the life of the person sitting beside you, behind you, in front of you. And over the person that you see in the, in the grocery store, the marketplace, the office cubicle, wherever you are. Understand this. That a movement of God begins in the heart of an individual. And when we submit and surrender to the authority of who he is. I believe that our city would change. What is the battle of faith versus fear in your life? It's time to make the change. This time is for you. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had to be here together. Lord God, I pray that you would continue to guide us and direct us in all things. I pray that you would would encourage us to find, to seek, to listen for your authority, that it may change uh, my perspective on my situation, that we would see the reality of who you are in the midst of our life. In Jesus' name.